So do y'all ever get frustrated? I'm not talking about with your kids or with your neighbors. I'm talking about with like the world at large. Do you ever get frustrated that it seems like things aren't completely fair? Seems like sometimes non-Christians have it as good or better than the Christians. I mean, they don't get persecuted for their faith. They don't get maligned for what they do. In fact, they can kind of do whatever they want. Sometimes I feel like they have it maybe even better off than me. And I come to Psalm 1 and I look at this and the first word is blessed. Blessed? Are you serious? Why don't you go, why don't, I'm curious what the persecuted church, you know, in the 1040 window has to say about this psalm. Do they really believe that they're blessed when they're being killed for their faith? When they're being maligned for everything they say? I, I, I know, well, look, we're, we've got pre-cush here in the States and especially in Texas. I mean, it's still pretty favorable to be a Christian more times than not. But sometimes I just feel like they have it as good off as I do. Sometimes I'm tempted to believe that maybe I'm not really as blessed as the word might say. And so if you find yourself in that position today, I want to tell you one thing. Well, a couple of things, but one, you're not alone. You're not alone in looking around and being like questioning, Lord, where and what does this blessing look like? Because you say I'm blessed, but sometimes it doesn't always feel like it. I mean, the rain falls on the evil, falls on the righteous. The sun shines on the wicked and on God's people. Sometimes I can deal with the mixed congregation that we have here on this side of eternity. I can deal with some frustration about that mixed congregation. Sometimes it feels like it's impossible to know who is who. I just wish we almost like had a sign written across everybody's forehead, Christian, not a Christian, Christian, not a Christian. But it's not that simple. But while Christians and non-Christians may be, may look a lot alike. They, they're kind of like salt and sugar. They look a lot alike. I can't really tell them apart until I taste them, until I take a closer look of them, until I consume them. And they are radically different. So from an outward sign, it's hard to tell any difference, but they are fundamentally different. So I want you to listen for that difference. Listen for what it means to be blessed as we read the psalm. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the sea of scoffers, but his delight is, on, is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. I don't know about you, but I love when scripture is really simple and straightforward. And that's what Psalm 1 is. 
it, it, it begins with the word blessing. So you instantly know it's about blessed is the man, but then it ends with the word perish. It shows us in the way that's structured and the way that it begins and ends and through its content that it is all about the blessing and the perishing. It's obvious that there are two ways. And this is the first Psalm. And so it is in many ways the gatekeeper for the rest of the Psalms. It is kind of showing you uh, what you're going to get for the rest of the book. And so the whole of the Psalms can be summed up in Psalms 1's teaching. So here we see that there are two ways. So we're going to look at two ways, two ends, and then two pictures. So we're going to be looking at two ways, two ends, and two pictures. We're not going to go exactly one verses 1 through 6. We're going to go 1 to 2, and then we're going to jump down to the end with verses 5 to 6, and then we're going to come back up to the middle, verses 3 to 4. I know it's complicated. I promise there's a good reason for it. So look with your Bibles with me at Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. I want you to notice this, uh, this, uh, the direction that this takes. He walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the sea of scoffers. Notice that there is this blessed man, and he has uh, the the word the Hebrew word here is actually in the plural, and so he has like a plurality, a multitude of blessings. He has um, a blessed destiny, as one commentator likes to translate it. He is a he is not just blessed, but he's going to be blessed, and that his whole way is, in fact, blessed. Everything about him is blessed. It's almost like he would just say, how rewarding is my way? How rewarding am, how rewarded am I? And so we see, start, starting off with this man, contrasted to this, these wicked. And notice that, notice, like I said, the progression that happens here. He's de- described first negatively with what he doesn't do. What does he not do? Well, he doesn't, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit in the sea of scoffers. So we see uh, that he does not walk. He goes from walking to standing to sitting. We see that it goes from counsel to the way to the, to the seat. We see that it goes from counsel of wicked to sinners designation to scoffers. So we see that sin has this uh, gravitational pull on us and that the closer you get to it, the stronger it pulls you in. And once you get in it, it keeps pulling you deeper. It's not satisfied. Sin, just like the nature of itself, like lust, is, is fundamentally not content. Even itself It doesn't just ask you to not be content, but it actually is not content with you just being content. It keeps pulling you in deeper and deeper. It's like trying to resist a magnet. It's like trying to swim upstream. And the reality is, is that the wicked just are like a boat who just float downstream with it. Just let it take take them wherever wherever it desires, wherever it leads And that is the, what the man is not. He stands against the way 
of the wicked. He does not stand with them. He does not sit with them. He doesn't follow them. One commentator puts it that the seat of scoffers, while as desirable as it might be, its seat is high, but it's near the gate of hell. It's easy to follow this way, but its end is in judgment. And so here we see uh, this. Here we see that he follows up by saying what he actually does delight in. So he does not stand, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We see that this is a characteristic of him, that he meditates on the law, that he delights in the law. I, I think there's a lot of ways you could explain this. The way that's simplest for me to explain this is through a, a country song, through, not that I'm going to sing, don't worry. But I love Willie Nelson. Last time I brought him up in a sermon, I got asked not to do it again, but I have it on Ryan on good authority that I could bring it up with y'all. So I love Willie. And what a testament that, you know, the rain shines, the, the sun shines on both the righteous and the wicked because, man, I don't know if he's ever going to die. He continues to be, continues to live and keep on kicking despite being a man of horrible character. But the man does have, does have a way with words. And I love his songs. Hello Walls, Three Days. They are songs that I grew up with. And the longer I heard them, the more I began to realize what they meant. I began to realize that there were layers to these songs. And as I pulled one off, it revealed another and another and another. And that's kind of like the word is, you know? That's what this man is described as. Ellie and I, the other day, uh, went to the Kimball. If I, so if I lost you with Willie, maybe I'll get you with Art. Uh, we went to the Kimball Museum, which is an art museum in Fort Worth. I don't really know Art that well. Um, but there was one piece that I knew of, I'd heard of there. And we were rushing uh, they, we only had like an hour while, before they closed. And so we, we just were walking by all these art pieces, piece after piece after piece after piece, just to get to this one piece by Monet. And sometimes that's kind of how I feel like we are with the word. We have all of these masterpieces laid up in, before us, but we really only have the capacity to sit and dwell on bite-sized chunks of it at a time. And so I want to encourage you, to read your Bible and read as much of it as you can, but don't forget to meditate on it because it's through that deep longing meditation that your affections get stirred, that you begin to understand, that your understanding of it begins to lead to your comprehension of it. And your comprehension of it leads to your love and your affections toward it. And let's just say, if someone like Monet if someone like Willie can create something so deep that we can sit and think on it and stare at it and listen to it for hours, how much more can we do this with the word of God that's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword? It is much longer. There are much more words in this book than there is in a Willie Nelson song. I promise you. 
And yet, how deep and rich is this book? I mean, I've preached this psalm more times than I can count. And every time I do it, I realize something different. It's not just that I realize, uh, like I comprehend something different about it, but that it gets applied in a new way to my heart and to my soul. I just, I keep thinking that I'm going to get to the bottom of the well, but it just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper. And you might be saying, Brian, look, you're preaching to the choir. You're in a church. We're all Christians. We all have our Bibles. In fact, we have five more at home that we don't read. Well, trust me, church, this is something that we can never go tired, grow tired of. This is something that we never graduate from. One preacher says that the word of God is the only book that grows with us. It's always wider than we can reach. It's always deeper than the depths that we can mine. So I know it's February. I'm sure many of y'all are, you know, doing a Bible reading plan and that's great. I love that. I want you to do that. But don't be content with just reading the Bible. Don't get me wrong. You've got to read the Bible, but don't be content with just reading it. Let yourself meditate on it day and night. This means you're supposed to do it all day. Let it be between your eyes, wherever you're at work. Let it be on your forehand, wherever you're, wherever you're parenting and when you're driving. Let it be always on your mind, wherever you are, wherever you go. Because that is the way of the righteous man. If you want to be like the righteous man, if you want to be blessed, then you need to dwell on the word because that is where our blessings come from. Next, we look at the the two ends of these people, the righteous and the wicked, and we see where they lead. So look at verse five with me. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Notice that the wicked will not stand in the judgment, um, nor will they stand in the way of the righteous, but they will be driven away. Notice that it's almost kind of a reverse of what verse uh, one talks about. They go from Stand, so from walking to standing to sitting. And then at judgment day, all of that gets undone. They don't get to stand in the congregation of the righteous. They don't stand through judgment. It's, it's hard to talk about. And it's easy to just really just kind of gloss over that. Like, yep, we know. Told this before. Ryan preaches the word to us every week. We hear about this regularly. Have you thought about that seriously and deeply? I mean, have you meditated on that word? An end will come to anyone. End will come to everyone. But an end of all blessings will come to an end for anyone who does not believe in the Lord. If you're not a Christian... And if you're kind of like thinking, you know, maybe I will become a Christian, but I'm going to wait until I get married, wait until I have kids, wait until I do this, wait until I do that, wait until I, you know, kind of get myself in order. The time is, the time has come to stop kicking the can down the road. The time to come to the Lord is today because judgment will come. And when it comes, 
you will be swept away. You know, the sinners get to enjoy pretty much all the privileges that uh, that believers do this side of eternity. You know, they get food, just like the righteous get food. They have a house, just like the righteous have a house. But one day, a stark divide will be made between them. And they will no longer get all the privileges. They, will never, they won't get all the common grace that all believers get. I also want to point, draw to your attention that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And so if you are a Christian today and you are feeling that frustration, that tension of being frustrated that it seems like there's not a whole lot of difference between the righteous and the wicked, take comfort in knowing that the Lord knows and sees your way. That is good news. This is the, this is the place where the omniscience of God, the all-knowingness of God is actually a really good thing. If you're not a Christian, this is terrifying. But if you are a Christian and you are following the Lord, you have faith. The Lord knows your heart. And what a blessing that is. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I love how the psalmist arranged this, that the first word is to get your attention. The last word is to scare you. Begins with blessing. It ends with perishing. So the two ends are radically different. Even though they begin from the same place, they end in radically different places. From Perryton, the town that I grew up in, up in the Panhandle, there's two roads in, there's two roads out. You start at the same place. Everybody, if you're in Perryton, you start at the same place. You're on the same road, but the road forks. And it leads to radically different places. So while we all start in the same place, Consider the way that you are on because it will lead to a radically different place depending upon which place you go. Are you on the way to blessing or are you on the way to perishing? So I know that this psalm is almost like a simplistic in its form, but I love the middle of the psalm and that's why we end with it. I think the, the author also wants us to end there because this is uh, what they call, uh, Bible scholars call it chiasm. I don't know how you spell it, but the, what I'm told is that what it means is that it's the center. It's almost like the arrowhead. It's the center. It's the point of the psalm. It's the thing that's supposed to get your attention that you're supposed to linger on the most. It's the emphasis of the psalm. And so it kind of is going in in fashion ending, circling in on the middle, and it circles in on two pictures. So our last point is two pictures. We have a picture of a tree and we have a picture of chaff. The uh, tree that is here is described as being planted, kind of connoting images of intentionality of favor, of chosenness, that this tree was possibly somewhere else. And so it had been taken and it had been put where it is now. So it's a tree that's been planted 
strategically by streams of water. Um, I didn't realize this until really recently, but the I had a friend who knows Hebrew tell me that this word here is um, it's not the it's not the same word for like a river or a creek or a stream, but it's actually the word for an irrigation canal, for a channel that's strategically been dug, man-made. It's not wild, it's not natural, but it's been given a specific purpose. And so we have this image of a tree that's been planted by a stream of water. And it has, char- it has a characteristic that it yields its fruit in season, like it's supposed to. It grows and bears fruit like it's supposed to, but, it all, but its leaf does not wither. So we see that no matter the season, this tree has access to what it needs. And so whether it's drought or flood, it has everything it needs right there because it has been cultivated so that it can succeed and prosper. It's been given favor so that it can flourish. How perfect of a picture is that for the righteous person? If you have been marked as righteous by Christ, then you were chosen out, you were picked out, and you were strategically planted in a place that no matter what happens, no matter what the season, no matter what the conditions, you would flourish, that you would thrive, that even through, though drought will come, though flood will come, you will prosper nonetheless. You will bear fruit you will not suffer. It doesn't mean that you will not suffer physical affliction. In fact, uh, the best thing, the best way that I've heard to describe this is that, um, is that for the soul's health, is for the soul's health that we actually suffer. What you'll find deep inside every trial is a blessing waiting to come out. And so the image that is being painted here is not that you will not suffer, that you will not uh, experience things, that, but that through no matter what the trial is, that you will still grow, that you will still flourish, that you will still be blessed. I hope there's someone here that actually needs to hear that today. I have chronic daily migraines, and so I have a headache every day. I have a headache right now as I'm preaching to you. I always want to pretty much be in bed, lying because I have constant chronic pain. And apart, if I just evaluate it from my experience, it's not good. It's not fun. But I know and I trust I am growing. I can see that after eight years of having a headache every day, I can see how my soul has actually benefited from it. This thing that is not good in any real way has actually been redeemed and used for my good. So much so to the fact that I can't imagine what I would be and how I would be here without having this suffering and trial. 
which is pretty wild to say. It sounds almost a little uh, masochistic, you know, like a little, like I enjoy the pain, but it's not that by any means. It hurts, but yet it is for my blessing. What trial are you going through right now? What do you just want out of? Like, Lord, please take this away from me. That's, a, that's an okay prayer. To, you're going to find in the rest of the Psalms that there's going to be a lot of prayers like that. It's okay to not want it. But if the Lord doesn't take it away, it's because he is meaning it for your good. You know, Paul talks about this with his thorn in the flesh. He prayed for it multiple times and God said that it was for his good that he would bear this. So you don't have to enjoy the pain, but you will find joy no matter what on the other side of your trial. This image gets contrasted with uh, chaff. I don't know if y'all are familiar with chaff. I grew up, lucky for me, I grew up in the wheat heart of the nation. We make more wheat in Perryton and Aquatree County than any other county in the nation. It's the one thing we have to hang our hat on. Besides the author of Hank the Cowdog being also from Perryton, those are our two claims to fame. So my dad was a, was a uh, he was a manager of an elevator, like one of those like silo things. Um, I know Ryan doesn't know what I'm talking about because he's from, you know, the Metroplex. So I have to explain a little extra for him. So forbear with me. So uh, my dad was a, a, a manager of this elevator. And so every summer when it came time for harvest, uh, they would bring their weed in and uh, they would bring in mostly clean. It was mostly just the wheat fruit itself, the seed itself. But occasionally there is some chaff that was mixed up in there and that had to be separated out. So through this kind of like conveyor belt of sorts that throws wheat up in the air, it was the contraption that was used to separate the chaff from the wheat. I thought it was really cool as a kid because you'd see all this wheat get loaded up and it would just go shooting out and it'd go flying across. And then there's this kind of like dust that passed behind it. And so what ended up happening is all the wheat gets shot out forward, but all of the, I, I mean, I know, I don't know if y'all realize this, but in the panhill, there's always a strong wind. And so whenever the wind would take it, that chaff would just be gone, be in the next county, the next, you know, by sundown. And that's kind of the image that we're left with here. Back in the old days, before they had the conveyor belt of sorts, they would actually get like a pitchfork kind of thing. And they would, first they would take the, they would get the, the wheat tassels bound up, tie it up, and then they would just beat it on the ground. Just beat it. It looks like they're mad at the wheat. And, but what they're actually doing is separating the chaff from the wheat. And so what's left is a big pile of all of this wheat with a little bit of chaff still. And so they would throw it up in the air. And as soon as the wind takes it, it gets taken out. This is what, you know, the, the righteous person gets described as like a tree. Something that like is an image of like a lasting thing, like something that leaves like a legacy, like a family tree, you know? We think of trees as like standing generations and generations, time after time, that no matter what the, what the season is, no matter what the year brings, it, that tree is still going to be there. And that's what the righteous get compared to. But the wicked get compared to as something that's just incredibly fleeting, that is, without a better way to say it, worthless. It's paper-like, it's thin. There's actually a danger you see, with 
our modern technology inventions and stuff, we still have to separate the chaff from the wheat because for one, it'll, it'll just, you know, contaminate stuff. You don't want chaff in your bread, but also it's a risk for a fire danger. And so if enough static electricity gets going and there's a lot of chaff in the elevator, it can actually cause an explosion. I've seen elevators in central Kansas where they didn't manage it well. They didn't properly separate the chaff from the wheat. And there's a whole wall that's been blown out of the elevator. It's huge concrete structure. It was all because the chaff wasn't separated properly. It's dangerous to let the chaff stay within the wheat. It's dangerous to let the wicked dwell with the righteous. These two images should haunt us. Should either give you great comfort or should be haunting. But if you're like me, wherever you reach this point, you're kind of like, man, I want to be the righteous person. There's nothing in there's there's nothing in me that doesn't desire to be the righteous person. But I kind of sense my own inadequacy. We can't be the blessed man unless Jesus was the blessed man. And because he was the righteous and blessed man, we can then be the righteous and blessed man. You see, Jesus is described as sinless in 1 Peter 2. There is no sin or deceit found within him. He was described positively as being righteous, always doing the right thing at the right time. He always made the right choices. He was Right, he is the righteousness that's described in Romans 10. We see that he is the sacrifice. 1 John 4.10, Jesus as the atoning sacrifice. We see that Jesus was substitution for us, that he actually took our place instead of us paying the, co- the price. But lastly, and most importantly, Jesus is pictured as the judge. That passage that we read earlier from John 3, his winnowing fork is in hand. He gathers the wheat, but the chaff will be burned in unquenchable fire. Ellie lives uh, out in, Ellie lived out in East Texas. That's where she grew up. And I didn't know anything about pine trees or anything like that whenever I was growing up because we don't have trees in the panhandle. And I get to East Texas and I'm just like leaning out the car window like, wow. Look at all these trees. They're huge and they're beautiful. I was just fascinated by them. And as I began to learn more about East Texas, I began to realize that not all pine trees are the same, even though they look like it to me. I can't tell the, sh- the difference between a short leaf pine, a long leaf pine. They look like they both have long pines to me. Uh, I can't tell the difference between a slash pine or a loblolly pine. They all, it's all just pine to me, for to this kid from the Texas Panhandle, you know. But there's a really cool way that I learned how to identify uh, a pine, uh, longleaf pine from a loblolly pine, which are the two most prominent ones out where she's from. And the way you do it is whenever a fire runs through, you can tell because only the longleaf pines are left. Loblollies, there's something within their sap chemical makeup that they're very combustible. But yet the, the longleaf pines actually thrive from the fire. 
They're actually benefited from it because it takes away the competition and stuff like that. And that is the image I want to leave y'all with. I know it's complicated right now. I know that it's hard to tell the difference between the righteous and the wicked right now, but a fire will come and they will be burned up. The question is, is what side of it are you on? You see, the blessing of the righteous, the actual blessing for the righteous is them being preserved through the fire and through the judgment. And that that will not only be throughout this life, but on into the next. So I've always questioned, why is this Psalm so different from all the others? And I think I finally figured it out. I think it's because you need to remember this. You need to remember that the righteous will be preserved throughout this life and the next while you go throughout all the highs and lows that you see throughout the Psalms. The Psalms is our prayer book. Throughout the Psalms, you see every range of human emotion. And no matter where you are, anger, despair, frustration, sadness, sorrow, confusion, victory, no matter where you are, don't forget this is where the book starts. Because you need to remember that no matter where you go, that the blessing of the righteous is them being preserved through this life and the next. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for preserving the righteous. Apart from you, we cannot preserve ourselves. We cannot even be righteous ourselves. But you, through your word, preserve us and sustain us. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of preservation. We pray that if there's anyone here who does not know you today, that they would come to faith, that they would not try to endure the judgment themselves on the basis of their own inadequacies, but that they would trust for you to stand in their place, Lord. As anyone here is going through trials, Lord, we pray that you would help sustain them that through meditating on the law day and night, that they would see their help, that they would be told of their comfort and that they would sense um, that you are preserving them and that you are sustaining them through your word. Lord, I pray that you would bless Redeemer in the days to come. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.